very helpful um, to get you connected here and answer any questions that you do have. Um, also, as Lacey said um, earlier, um, Virginia Kids Belong is our partner uh, this month, and so there'll be some folks out there from uh, Virginia Kids Belong. Um, if you want to ask some questions about what it means to be involved in just the foster care movement here in Richmond, um, they have the answers for you. And um, as Lacey was saying, you know, it doesn't, it's not all about um, you fostering uh, a kid yourself. Um, there are so many other ways um, to get involved. And so we have just been a part of their organization now for a couple of years and love what they do and the impact they're having in the city. And, uh, and we want to continue to highlight that and be a part of it. So um, just talk to them on your way out. Um, we're in this series uh, called Spirit. And uh, so if you're kind of jumping in today, this is the third week we've been uh, in this series. And the reason uh, that we decided to pivot and talk about the Spirit here for several weeks together is because of what's been happening in our church. Um, you know, over the last several months, uh, there has been this really cool move of the Spirit of God in people's lives. Um, I would actually say probably more than any other point in our church's history, um, which is not that long, it's seven years, but still, uh, it's still something, right? And um, what's been interesting is there is, the reason why we pivoted, we were, t we were talking about like the Built the Last series and you know, why the church is so important. But I started like just hearing all these conversations, and, or I started having these conversations with people, and them just sharing like, man, God's doing this stuff, or man, things are happening and everything. And I just hear like so much more of it. And then within our discipleship classes that you guys are a part, so many of you are part of, the, trans the transformation that's happening like in all of that is like far greater than what we've ever seen like in our church. And so there's some deep transformation happening. And so when the Spirit of God moves, it's actually like pretty interesting. Sometimes you can be, uh, the Spirit can move in so many fascinating ways. Like, right? like you, can, you can be in your car and feel the Spirit of God moving. Like you can be with just a few people and feel the Spirit of God moving. It doesn't always have to be a full room. Sometimes we, we can mistake the Spirit moving of being like just in a full room, right? It's like you got to get, man, it was packed. And like everything was, it's like everyone was going crazy. Like the Spirit of God was moving. And I'm like, was it? Or was it just a lot of energetic people in one spot? Right? Like, that can happen. When the Spirit of God is actually moving, what ends up happening is, like, there's something that's, like, at the inner core of your being, and it starts tapping into something a little bit deeper, and it's transformative, and something begins to change. And the premise of what we've been talking about uh, for the first couple weeks of the series is that the Spirit brings life. All right? Without the Spirit, you can't actually experience life to its fullest. Without the Spirit, you can't, like, fully experience the, the life that God has for you in this season of time that you are in. So we're going to continue that on uh, today with kind of this main thought. It's this simple. It says, if we want a life full of character and purpose, we have to stay in rhythm with the Spirit. All right? So if we want a life full of character and purpose, we need to stay um, in rhythm with the Spirit. How many of you guys have rhythm? All right. I wish there were more. But... Um, so actually, I should know that by the way you guys clap. But like there's, um, <laughs> or lack thereof, let's be honest. Like we, should, we really should get better. Maybe I should, that's what we should be praying is like the spirit of clapping will come over us. But um, I always thought like in rhythm is always like a funny thing. Like when you're out of rhythm with something, it doesn't feel right, right? Like it just feels like kind of confusing and it feels off and you feel like out of place. And, and it, doesn't, like, it doesn't feel right. Like I remember when we, uh, if you were here for our birthday, we had everyone dancing, you know, at the end. And I was just like laughing. Because like, like people like, they didn't know what to do, and they're just kind of like slowly stepping like during. But then all of a sudden, something happened with some of you guys. And this is like a beautiful thing. I'm not saying it was the spirit. I was just like, like you got into rhythm, 
and everything changed. Like you went, some, some people were like, started off just like this, like you're kind of going back and trying to follow Lamont. All of a sudden you kind of got, all of a sudden you're like, like you're, like, you're kind of moving with someone, you're like pointing out other people on the side, like trying to get them, and like you're trying to teach other people around you. And something like shifted the second you got into rhythm. The same thing happens with the Spirit. When you're outside of like the Spirit of God moving in your life, it doesn't feel right. It feels a little chaotic. It feels a little confusing. It's like you might have like momentary clarity, but then all of a sudden it's like, ah, it's just, it doesn't actually work. It doesn't actually transform. It doesn't, it doesn't actually feel right. But then you get in step with the Spirit and everything comes together. Like everything just shifts and changes. Your conversations change. Your life changes. Your perspective changes. Like everything changes. How many of you guys uh, have had a problem of uh, knowing you should do something, but you don't do it? Okay, how about doing something you know you shouldn't do? Yeah, yeah, right? And there's that tension that's in there within the way that the Spirit of God like, moves in you. So like, just so everyone feels comfortable, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you guys to shout out what day of the week that you either thought something, did something, or said something you know you shouldn't have. Okay? Just yell the day of the week, all right? On the count of three. One, two, three. Yeah. So, right. Some of you guys were like, all of them. Right? Like, it's like they're, um... I wanted you guys to hear that because here's what happens. There's this tension that happens within all of us where we're like, man, I know I, know I should do this, but I don't do it. And, or I do something that I know I, I shouldn't do, and, and you feel it, and you know it. Um, Paul actually talks about this in Romans chapter 7. Paul is one of the writers of the Bible, and, and he talks about that like in his own life. Like in Romans chapter 7, he's like, man, there's these things that I, I just I, I want to do, but I just I don't do, but then these things that I don't do that I know I should do, like all that stuff. And, and so that begins to happen in his life. And so I want to talk about and build a little context to why that happens. Because, again, every hand raised when I said, is this a part of your life? Like, every single one of us. And if we're honest, if we're honest, every single day we feel this tension. That there's something, even like a thought that comes into our head, and you're like, that shouldn't be there. Right? And you know it, and you feel it, and you're like, why is that there? And sometimes, sometimes it's there way longer than it should be. And so we feel this tension of what's going on. And the Bible actually talks a lot about this. Um, I want to add a little background for us um, first, though, because this is helpful on how the Bible begins to describe it. So in Genesis chapter 3, and this is the, if you're familiar with the Bible, this is part of the creation story. In Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, um, everything is created, and then uh, everything's good. Like, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, things get broken in the midst of this. And so this is part of the story that ends up happening. It says, um, did God really say, this is important, that piece right there. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Look at how the serpent responds. You will certainly not die. So he's challenging the word of God, all right, is what the serpent is doing here. For God knows that when you eat it, uh, when you eat it from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, so who's speaking to Eve at this point? Who does it say? The serpent, right? Who does the serpent represent? Satan or the devil, right? Like that's what the kind of the, how the story goes. Like that's this kind of idea. So the Bible like says like, man, there's something going on here that it starts with like, that the devil starts everything, all right? So if we're ever asking the question, you want to be starting something, it's always the devil, right? Like, and so the devil is starting something here, 
And when the devil starts it, he does it with words. A lot of times we think, man, you can just feel like this presence. It's like, "Mm." what the devil does, the Bible actually describes the devil as the father of lies. All right, so so it starts with words. And here's how the devil works. He says, did God really say that? Did God, we sang, in in the beginning, we sang that song, Child of Love. And and here's what I know about everyone in this room at some point in time, and maybe currently. um, You believe a lie that you're telling yourself that God never actually said. And some of it's way deeper. And maybe it's multiple things that you've convinced yourself of as part of your identity that God has never said about you. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. And it's, be, it's like, it's just totally corrupted your soul. It's hurt your identity. It's, it's made you so confused. It's made you make decisions that you never thought you would ever make because it's the father of lies. And, and how the devil begins to work is like, man, wants to distract you with, with words and be like, did God really say, or tries to paint a picture of who you will be? Well, the Bible continues and creates this other piece of the story. So we've got this, this devil piece that's out there. And then it says, the, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why Cain is the son of Adam and Eve. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not, what is, if, but if you do, not do what is right, look at this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. This is pretty interesting. So we got the devil and kind of speaking the lies. And then, then so there's this other part that, that's kind of like taken in here. It's like there's something always waiting and crouching at your door. Um, have you ever been like really scared by someone? Like who's been like waiting for you? Like and you open the door and like, ah! Right, like, and, and it like freaks you out and everything. And here's how the descriptor of like what God's saying here is about, here's what sin does. It is waiting for you at your door and just waiting for you to open it a crack. And when, it, when you do, it just jumps in. And a lot of the language that's used here is kind of around this idea of kind of like feeding the beast. And then what we do is like when we open up the door, if sin is just waiting and waiting, and the second we just open, it's like, it's ready. It's going to come at us. And it's describing that this tension that is happening. When I said, how many guys like, have, have done stuff you wish you didn't, you, you, you didn't want to do, or you haven't done stuff you wish you would? And it's like, what is that? There's this tension of something, right? That's kind of pulling you back and forth. There's this tension of like, ah, man, there's something just, I feel like it's like waiting for me, and I know it's there, and I don't want to do it, but I still do it. And you feel the pull into it. And this tension that the Bible talks about is between our flesh and the spirit. And it's describing this as like, it's like crouching at your door and just waiting waiting for you to just give it a crack. And, then, and isn't it interesting? It says, you must rule over it. Sometimes, and this is what's fascinating about how sin works in our lives and everything, sometimes we think that sin is overwhelming and there's nothing that can be done. And we give into it and we'll say things like, this is just who I am. Or man, I'm just so tempted by this and I just kind of give into it all the time because, you know, it's just too much for me. I just, you know, I made so many poor decisions in my life and so this is just... I just, I just do this now. But the Bible says something different. It's like, yeah, there is this tension. There's this flesh and the spirit thing that's happening. But man, you, you can rule over this, right? So the Bible talks about it a little differently too in this. It's, it kind of takes it to another step. In Genesis 6, chapter 5, which is leading up to the story of Noah and the ark and the massacre of all humanity. Um, the, it says in verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness, look at this, 
the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil at all the time. So it's interesting that how the Bible begins to describe this. I'll just write this down so you can see it. Is it's almost inverse of what we see. So I'll draw it this way. It starts below with the devil, and then you've got um, the flesh here, and then you've got um, the world, right? Is what Genesis 6 is talking about there. This is like inverse of what we talked about earlier, which is God the Father, right? You have the Son and the Spirit, which starts from above. And so we begin to see that there's this idea of like, man, we've got the Father, Son, Holy Spirit as the training, kind of how God's working in our life. It's coming from above. It's heavy meaning earth, but there's something else coming up underneath that's trying to like oppose it, that's trying to interrupt it and trying to stop us from experiencing it. And then what ends up happening is the world comes into this. And I'm not talking about like the world as like a, a place, um, just kind of the systems of the world. What ends up happening is when the devil and the flesh start happening, it, it keeps working its way out. And so we end up, when the world starts kind of rearing its ugly head in this way, in this system, all it's saying is that the world will always keep pushing the line in normalizing what used to be sin. And this happens all the time. Like, all the time. We, we normalize things that used to be sin. It's just accepted. It's just accepted as like, oh, this, this makes sense now. Um, we see this in a lot of political stuff. We see this in um, stuff around sexuality. We, we see this stuff um, like with greed and excess and stuff like that. All these things that we know what the Bible speaks otherwise, but yet we just kind of normalize all. And this is what the world does. It steps in and says, just keep pushing the line, pushing the line, pushing the line, pushing the line, pushing the line. Whenever we were in uh, college ministry, and even when we did youth ministry, we would always say to, to kids when they would start dating someone else, we would say, um, they would always ask this question, like 100% of the time. They would say, how far is too far? And, um, and, I, and we would always respond, you're asking the wrong question. See, they want to know how far they could push something to push the line. Right? But we should, just, we should be asking, like, what does it mean to honor God in our relationships? And so the how far is too far question is like always fascinating because here's what ends up happening. Um, and, and, and if you've ever dated anyone other than the person that you're married to, let's say, um, you know this to be true. The first kiss, if you guys can ever remember this, your first kiss was frightening. Right? Your heart's just going like... Right? You're like, am I leading with my teeth? I don't know. Like, they're like, there's like, you're like, kind of like, you like just feel like all the pressure of that moment and this first kiss that ends up happening. Right? Was it hard the second time? No. Right? And every time, what, the next relationship, wherever you left off the re last relationship, it was easy just to start there. Why? Because you just push the line. And so we normalize things. And this is just what happens with the world and its systems. It pushes the line, pushes the line, pushes the line. And then we get what we get and what we experience here. Um, but so there's this devil, there's the flesh, and then there is the world. And we see this as the way of kind of temptation throughout all the systems and all the ways that we experience this life that creates this tension. But I want to talk about the flesh in particular today. Um, and so what is the flesh? Here's what the flesh is, all right? It's selfishness. It's self-sabotage. Um, and it is disordered. So hard right fast. Disordered um, desires. 
All right, so that's how we see that in Scripture, that the flesh, whenever the flesh is talked about, it's areas of selfishness, it's areas where you self-sabotage, and it's disordered desire, okay? And so you might take something that is good, that is a good desire to have, but it becomes disordered, and you use it to hurt other people. Like, that's how our flesh works. Um, the easiest way to describe that is just kind of within sexuality, right? Like you desire something that, like, sex is good. Like, we see that in Scripture, but sex is, is a good thing. But when it goes kind of outside that and turns into lust and use it for your own, like, satisfaction, you've turned something that's good, turned it into something that's fleshly, and it hurts other people. And so that's just what happens. Like, we can do it with money. We can do it with whatever. Name, name a thing, and we can do it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, all things. Even if it's a good desire on the front end, when our flesh comes in and we feel this tension of like, oh, I don't want to, but I do, or I don't want to, right, and I do. Like whatever those things are, it's like that's the tension that we have of the flesh and the spirit working in us. This guy named Paul, who is uh, one of the writers of the New Testament, um, he actually writes about this in Galatians 5. He's writing this letter to the church at Galatia. Brand new Christians, they're just trying to figure all this stuff off, and they're feeling this tension, and I'm like, man, like, stuff isn't right, and, and we're fighting, and we're, we're doing all these like, things, and we're, and we're kind of abusing, like, this freedom that we have in Christ. And so Paul's speaking into this, because here's what ends up happening, um, and this still happens today. Um, there's this moment where you kind of can, can come into uh, a knowledge and, and want to follow Jesus, and you just feel like, oh, man, I feel so free. I feel like this, like my identity is secure, the hope I have in Christ and everything. And, and we think that that tension goes away. That flesh and spirit thing, we're like, oh, it goes away. It, it doesn't. You might become more mature, you become more aware, but you, you're going to still feel that tension. You still feel it. And, it, and so what ended up happening with, with this church, it's like they weren't aware of that, basically, and so they just started giving in to the tension. The thing that was crouching at the door, they started giving into it. And so Paul writes this in Galatians 5. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. You see, he's, he's putting up these two things against one another. I'm like, how do you do this? How do you, how do you figure this part out? If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I wonder if that sounds familiar for us. I want to pause there for a second because um, one of the most frustrating things for me um, of watching Christians interact with just everything right now, like for the last couple of years, has been that right there. You bite and devour each other. And it's interesting how we accept it as normative. Yeah, what Paul's talking about here is like this is from the devil because it's about the flesh. It's fascinating the things we accept as normative, right? That the Bible says we should actually completely come against. So Paul says this, so, so walk by the Spirit, this, the idea of like staying in rhythm with the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the flesh so you'll rule over them if we walk by the Spirit. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. This is tension. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And all he's talking about there is like, it's not about rules. And finally, the said was like, you, you kind of get when you're led by the spirit. It's not about the set of rules. 
You operate and live in freedom because you're in just this rhythm with the Spirit of God. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, which just means, I know everyone, whenever you see that in the Bible, you're like, I don't know what that is, but I don't do it. Um, all that means, <laughs> debauchery is simply like there's no rules to anything. Okay? There's just no rules. And debauchery is like essentially what we're living in. There's very few rules on things right now, right? I'll get to that in a second. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dimensions, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Paul puts that in there just in case you were thinking to yourself, mm, he didn't name this one. <laughs> He's like, let me frame this for you a little bit bigger. There are things that kind of go off of the things that I just listed. And in case you were kind of, you were trying to do a little work around there, it's like, ooh, he didn't mention gossip. He's like, and the like. You, kind of, you get it. And the like. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who will live like this, and this is, look at this, y'all, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hmm. But the fruit... And the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes, that is in there. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, meaning, again, there's this kind of rhythmic aspect, let us keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking and ending each other. So, Here's the first thing I want you to do is take it seriously. Take it seriously. Um, verse 21, uh, he says, those that operate out of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Maybe that's a big deal. See, what Paul's trying to do, he's like, I get it. You're, you're trying to like make this feel simple and easy. And you kind of want to, you want to do this kind of rhythm of things of like, I just want to do what I want to do. Like, I like the Jesus part. And like, I love that he died. I love that he forgave me for all my sin. And, and that's really great. And, and I, but I also kind of like want to do what I want to do. And I kind of want to live this faith the way I want to live it. So it's like comfortable and easy for me. And, you know, I just kind of come in and out of this stuff and kind of casually be in community, but not really be committed to community. Kind of do all these things like that, right? And Paul's like, no, 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 that's flesh. And here's the thing about the flesh. Like, you, you, you actually don't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, for, for some scholars, they believe that it's pointing to actually, like, that you will not, like, eternally inherit the kingdom of God. Um, most scholars are saying what they're saying here is, like, you won't experience here on this life what the kingdom of God is actually like. You will be living to your false self. You will have a lack of purpose. You will have a lack of hope. And you will just play into all the things of this world. And you actually won't experience real character. You won't experience a fullness of life. Because you've just kind of given in to the flesh. And deemed it okay because we stopped taking it seriously. One of the things that I was thinking about around this is when we kind of go down this road of just, just being like, oh, it's just the flesh, that's what I want. So the only thing that we experience when we just kind of choose the flesh is we experience like this earthly kingdom that's built on the lies of the devil. So let me give you an example. You can be like, man, I made all this money and, and like you're not generous with it. Well, here's what ends up happening. You might be able to buy really cool stuff and have some really cool trips, but if you're not generous with your money, you have not experienced life. That's all it is. 
And you haven't, like, helped anyone else with it. You haven't, like, you haven't experienced what it's designed to be. You haven't experienced the, the life that God has. And so why? Because you choose flesh. And so you don't inherit the, the things that we should be able to inherit within it. So when you think about it this way, and this is what Paul says, and it's fascinating to me because in verse 13, he, he talks about um, don't indulge the things of the flesh. And what he means by don't indulge the things of the flesh, it's this military language that says don't let your flesh like, create like this base camp inside of you. And when the military would set up a, a, a base camp, they were just ready for attack. And so Paul's like, don't indulge it. Don't do it. But he says the antidote, he actually says this in verse 13, he says the antidote to um, this whole idea of engaging the flesh, the antidote to indulging the flesh is loving your neighbor. Doesn't that sound weird? He's like, well, you're telling me that like, we can rule over the flesh simply by loving our neighbor? And Paul's like, yeah. What about the loving God part? He's, always, he's already assuming that you're saying you're doing that. And what he means is like, when you love your neighbor, here's what's happening. It's really hard to make a decision to be greedy when you love your neighbor because your heart is designed to the love of the other. It's really hard to lust over someone when you love them like, like we should. It's hard to use sex for our means when we're loving our neighbor. It's hard to make power plays over people when you're actually trying to love them well. You can't do it. And so Paul's like, you know the answer to all this is like to love your neighbor and love them well. And then all of a sudden, you'll be able to stiff arm and rule over the things of your flesh because everything starts getting funneled through this idea of loving your neighbor. How many, be honest, how many of you have all gossiped in the last few months? Right? Everyone raised their hand, okay? Because then you just lie, so that's whatever. But <laughs> so in that moment of your gossip, think about this. If you paused for a second and said, what does it mean to love that other person well? Do you gossip? You don't. So Paul's proving like an actually like pretty logical point here. He's like, love your neighbor well. And that's what be the antidote to all of this. You see, when I started, I wrote down a few things about like, all right, how does the world actually promote some stuff around the flesh? So here's a few things I wrote down. Um, do whatever you want sexually and be true to yourself. That's how they talk about freedom. That is not freedom at all. I always laugh when, when someone's like, man, the way Christians talk about sex is, it's like ancient and it's so like repressive and um, it's so prude and everything. I'm like, so you're telling me to value sex in a way that's like designed for marriage and with one other person for the rest of your life and to love and care for them and, and want that as like a wholeness, like th that's, that's less freeing than saying sleep with whoever you want. It's like, man, I, don't, I feel like maybe the world got that one wrong. No? I mean, part of, you know, you guys heard me share this before, part of my story, like when we think about like regrets and things like that, I'm like, Man, if I could go back in time and talk to my 14-year-old self, I would have a very serious conversation around sex. But let me tell you what you're about to set yourself up with. And so it's like, man, it, that's not actually free. And this idea of like, just live true to yourself. All that is saying in those moments is like, do whatever you want, which is debauchery. That's what it ends. 
It's not real freedom. Marketing around all the things that we lack, right? I mean, how many, like all of us, I know, will be like, marketing doesn't get us, it gets us. Yeah. It's like you bought something that you didn't really, you're like, you're like, you know what, I do need that shirt. <laughs> or I do need that car. Or you know what? I was watching Chip and Joanna, and man, I'm looking at this now in my house. I know they're not doing it for that purpose. But like my point is, we all go through that stuff. And some of it's fine, y'all. I'm not saying like, some of it's fine. I'm just saying how we like properly engage this. Denying yourself, right? Denying yourself from the world's perspective is repressive and ancient. Fortunately, we'll see this in a second that Jesus talked a little bit differently about that. Fits of rage are celebrated against someone in another tribe, especially when you can dehumanize them. We're like, right? But yet, what Paul says and what the Bible says is that's of the devil. We compare, we compete, and we give everyone our edited versions of ourselves on social media. And so that's what the world does. It's kind of capitalizing on the tension between the flesh and the spirit. So how do I know? How do I know? How do I know I'm not giving in to the, the flesh? You're making decisions that aren't logical. Um, I remember sitting down with someone that was addicted to porn. And um, I said, uh, he was like, what should I do? And I said, uh, I would put stuff on your computer um, to make sure you can't. There's plenty of programs out there. I would get a flip phone. And I would have um, accountability partners um, that have access to your search history. And, um, and I would go get a counselor. He was like, all right, I can do the thing on my computer. He's like, I don't want to get a flip phone. I was like, well, then you don't care. He's like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. He's like, you just got done telling me you spent hours on your phone looking at it. And the logical decision would be like, get a flip phone. He's like, I don't, I don't want to. And I was like, well, then you just keep giving into it. So it's not going to magically go away. We make decisions that aren't logical. Even when we think about like social media, this, like, this one makes me laugh. Every ounce of social media research that comes out right now is it's horrible for teenagers. Every ounce. And yet, and yet, I'm not saying like kids can't have phones or like that it can't be on it. I'm just saying like, isn't it crazy that we just let kids do whatever they want on their phones? Like a shockingly young age. Like most people that study like things around social media would say that like no kid should be on it um, before 18. Like we talk about anxiety, um, body disorder issues. Like, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's all the research. But we're just like, you know, I'll just let my kid go with no rules. And some of you guys do a great job whether you put parameters and rules around it, and I get all that. But like, isn't that crazy? It doesn't make any We're giving in to the idea of this tension in the flesh. Two, the lack of desire of the fruit of the Spirit. Those things that were listed, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There's a lack of desire for those things. Um, the third thing, if you know you're given to the flesh, you blend in really well. Here's what I mean by that. People don't know that you're actually a Christian. You're trying to hide your faith. Or, or you blend in really nicely to a tribe of people. You're like fit like really nicely into this group of people. It's like that's giving into flesh. And number four, you have a stronger desire for a feel-good moment rather than deep character. You make decisions based on this feels good right now rather than like taking time to think like, is this the wise decision? The last one there is a lack of spiritual disciplines. You can't like 
you don't have any. Like when we talk about like prayer and study and community and solitude and fasting, um, things like that, even like stuff like singing. There's like a bunch of spiritual disciplines you can tap into and there's just a general desire or like a lack thereof like within your kind of life. And so we see like, that's how you know you're giving into the flesh. And so here's the last part here, and this is quick. We need to pay attention to the fruit that we have. We need to pay attention to the fruit that's coming out of us. So we take this seriously, but then we need to pay attention to the fruit that's coming out of us. Paul says that um, the acts of the flesh are obvious, and they are. They're just obvious. That's why we put this question before you guys a lot of like, is this Christ-like? Because the answer to that then makes it obvious whether or not something is or not. And he's like, all right, then I'm giving in to my flesh rather than the spirit of God. I want life or death. That's what we're saying in those moments. And so um, what Paul is saying here is like, man, he's like, pay attention to fruit because you need to stop planting trees that produce rotten fruit. And that's what's like giving into the flesh really is. It's like we're planting, we're putting all these seeds in the ground and we're like, here comes more bad decisions. Here it comes. And we do this over and over and over again. One way to think about it is this. We can't expect the fruit of the spirit when we are planting seeds of the flesh. Sometimes we're shocked Man, why haven't I become more patient or kind or loving? Why haven't, like, why aren't these things coming? Why do I lack such self-control? It's like because of the seeds that we're planting in the ground. So how does the fruit grow? Let me give you just three quick things. If you want your fruit to grow, you got to give it time, and you don't settle. Um, the work of the Spirit of God in your life is not going to be immediate. Like, even today, if you feel like God just, like, he's, like, doing something in your heart, and it's like, oh, I want that piece of your heart, and I want that thing that's going on that you're thinking about right now, the thing that's kind of just, like, you feel it, and you know it, and God's like, I want that piece, and you're like, you can have it, God. Wednesday, you're like, let me take it back. You can feel it. You can feel it. And so some of this is just, like, slow. It's slow. We want it to be quicker. We have little moments it could be quicker. Man, a lot of times it's just slower. Um, let me just, as a point of encouragement to the older folks in the room, um, one of the things you should never say is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Because no matter how old we ever get, you should never stop learning. You should never stop growing. You should never stop opening yourself up to the Spirit of God to move and, like, and like say, like, you know what? This thing needs to shift inside of you. Like you're never a finished product. And we need time. We want this to kind of be cultivated inside of us to continue um, to grow. Even this thing of time, we understand this. Um, you guys know how like mental maps work in our brains? Like when your brain like just kind of naturally does something. Like have you ever like driven to work? Let's say and you drive it every day and like you don't remember getting there? Because like you just like, like, oh, that's weird. I don't even like what happened in the last 17 minutes, right? Like, you had to, like there's, um, like, my way to the gym is the same way to my way here. And so, like, I go to the same gym six days a week, and, and so, and I come here, like, basically equally. There have been several Sunday mornings where I'll pull into the gym park, and I'll be like, nope. And, like, I just got, you know, and so, I don't, like, I don't even know. I'm like, what am I doing? But, like, the, like your, your brain is working. This is the same way with the fruit and the spirit. It's you got to create a new mental map. And you got to put in the time for a lot of that to, to begin to happen. The second thing there is to create space for the right influence. Um, 
this comes in, and you want to walk in step and rhythm with the Spirit, then you need to be in community with people. And you got to be committed to community with people. And um, in, in discipleship of people and growing with people, like you gotta be you've got to be committed to it. If you're not going to be committed to it, I promise you, you will become disconnected. And as we talked about last week, when you get disconnected, you get disoriented. And when that disorientation happens, you will choose the flesh. Or you'll choose to separate. You'll choose to kind of neglect community around you. And so you have to be committed to community create space for that. Another way to create space is to create space for like solitude and silence in your life. The busyness of life will interrupt the work of the Spirit all the time. You have to create, like think about this, and I'll probably preach on this at some point, but like Jesus, the Son of God, it says in Scripture, often went off by himself to pray. If the Son of God needs silence and solitude because people are crazy, how much do you think we need it? So it's something to consider with create space. The last one there is to be disciplined. Be disciplined. We need spiritual disciplines in your life. Um, self-control is making decisions against yourself. Okay? And so we need self-control. Jesus says it this way, and the world will hate this. Hold on. Let me get past that. He says it this way. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. I just want to put that in front of you guys because, um, and the band, you guys can come up. This tension that you're going to feel, listen, you might be feeling it right now. If you don't feel it right now, you're going to feel it at some point today or tomorrow. It's just going to happen. And what we begin to see is how important it is how important it is to begin to understand, like, how do I allow this fruit to grow? And how do I make sure I'm aware of the times I'm choosing flesh instead of the Spirit? As a word of caution to some of you guys out there who might be, like, saying something like this, yeah, but I'm, I'm allowing other people to grow. That's great. If you're helping other people grow, that's wonderful. But if the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit isn't being developed in you, then you are not like walking in step with the Spirit. You're just being a life coach. And so the Spirit of God needs to like develop in you. Some of you guys might be thinking like, yeah, but I've seen these things in other people. I've seen like great love. I've seen like joy. I've seen patience, whatever, in other people. I say, yeah, but when the Spirit moves, there's a supernatural element to it. There's a joy in all circumstances. There's an unconditional kind of love. There's a patience that goes beyond what you could ever fathom. When Paul said we need to crucify the flesh, he means to kill it. And so my challenge to us today is um, what needs to be killed? What, what behavior, what thought? What, what, Paul would say crucify it. He doesn't say have lunch with it. He doesn't say just kind of have casual conversation. He says, crucify it. So what in you, what thought, what perspective, what needs to be crucified so that the Spirit of God can actually work? Let me offer this last thing. Some of you guys might be thinking, man, I've made so many bad choices. God can't possibly love me. I have just chosen the flesh time and time again. God can't possibly love me. He does. You have not gone too far for God's love. There is no sin that what he did on the cross won't take care of. 
And he wants you to just engage so you can have real life as the Spirit of God begins to work inside of you. So we're just going to take a second here, just close our eyes, and I want us to have a time of just silence and processing, and then the band will get um, ready. And we're going to sing this one last song together.